Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, I kind of wandered in and you guys were having church. (laughs) So we've... uh, introduced this new series on parables called Timeless, and I was saying last week that uh, one of the reasons Jesus teaches in parables is because folks had developed certain prejudices about the kingdom of God, and it was kind of hard to get the actual message of the kingdom across, and so he began to teach in this way because it taught lessons that got past their prejudice, at least hopefully it got past their prejudices. Thankfully, we don't think like that or act like that anymore. We're very open to the gospel teaching us and leading us. We're very childlike in the face of the Word of God. We we come as learners every day. In fact, in our journey of faith, we're learners every day. We're longing to understand. We're longing to grow. We're longing to be in the process of becoming more and more like Him. And I don't know if you've ever met a Christian and, and said, yep, they, they're there. They're just like Jesus. Yes. Have you met some who think they are just like Jesus? Yes. Yeah, I know some of those people. None of us can do great things, but all of us can do small things with great love. And together we can do something wonderful. We've used that quote from Mother Teresa a number of times in the past few months and relating to all the stuff that's happening around us and the challenge that we've taken on together to uh, expand and bring this facility up to date. And I want to think of it in a little different way today. And it seems like that you and I should have picked up on some of the nuances from the prophets It's not like it was a secret. It's not like we'd never heard it. It's not like we'd never seen it. But somehow the prophetic message didn't quite settle in in a way that started to make sense to us, where we could make the application. But in hindsight, we can see how it fit together. So when Isaiah writes in chapter 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. We should have picked up on the nuance. We should have started to anticipate exactly what Jesus was about. And if, if somehow, even in our deep you know, reflective moment, we didn't get it, then Jesus in Luke's gospel 
goes to the synagogue in Nazareth. He has the scroll of Isaiah brought to him, and he reads this passage. And then he looks at the crowd, and we're told in Luke's account that every eye in the synagogue was upon him. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Here's what I'm about. I'm about binding up the brokenhearted and setting the captives free, releasing from prisoners those in darkness. I am about pushing back the mourning and replacing it with joy. I am about bringing liberation to your hearts and your minds and your souls and your spirits. Doesn't mean you won't have hard times. Doesn't mean you won't go through things you don't understand. It won't mean you won't face things that aren't fair. But I will be with you in it and in it. This is what I am doing. I am pushing back the darkness. We should have picked up on the nuances. When Jesus looked at the crowd and said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. We should have caught on. It should have resonated in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits that somehow this gospel was becoming incredibly personal, up close to your story, to where you are right now, to what's happening in your journey, in your family, in your inner world, in your mind. And we should have picked up on the fact that the focus was becoming much more narrow and specific. We didn't get it then. We could have picked it up a little from John, who in Matthew's gospel, we have an account that Jesus is nearby. We've talked about this. We'll talk about it some more. John's in prison and he sends a messenger. Are you the one or should we expect someone else? And Jesus' response to him is go tell John the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. John, I know you're going through a hard time. I, I, I know it's difficult. I know it doesn't all make sense to you. I know you want a cataclysmic change. But this is what I can tell you. Change is happening. Things are going on. You've got to look for the kingdom in the right place. We think about the bondage of Israel, it's a major theme in Scripture. In fact, bondage, captivity is a big, giant theme in all of Scripture. And in very literal ways, we just finished this series on uh, Jacob and his family. And of course, the climactic moment in that story is when Joseph welcomes his brothers and his whole family, and they all come to Egypt, and they enjoy the best of the land and the best of Egypt. And of course, we know subsequently, things don't go that well, that Within a few generations, the people are no longer enjoying the best of Egypt. They've been enslaved in Egypt. And for 400 years, the children of Israel are held captive in Egypt. And then Moses comes along and that story begins to unfold. And, and eventually, the children of Israel are released. And, and we call it the Exodus, the exit from Egypt. It's this massive story in fact, if you're, if you're stringing together your biblical theology, you should know that you can kind of picture it this way in your head. The biblical story is a bridge that takes us from being where we are to being in relationship with God, a restored intimacy with our Creator. And that suspension bridge that, that takes us on that journey is held up by two massive pillars, 
One of them is the deliverance story of the Old Testament, the Exodus. It's a part of Israel's history, but it very quickly becomes a paradigm. It very quickly becomes the symbol of what God intends to do, to set us free. The other great pillar is in the New Testament, and that would be the life and ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. These two stories of deliverance mirror one another. They hold up the entire bridge of the restored relationship, atonement, reconciliation, but they are also significantly different from one another. The Exodus pillar is about a corporate deliverance. Everybody got free. The death and resurrection of Jesus is about you and me. It's about a misunderstanding that happened back there somewhere in which Israel began to think that it was all about them, but it wasn't about them. Walk before me and be blameless and I'll be your God and you'll be my people and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. I'm glad Christians understand that. Like we, we didn't decide this was sort of an exclusive club over here. No, we, we are all ambassadors of, re- of reconciliation. Messengers of deliverance, of hope and faith. We're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And this new pillar becomes very focused on individual people with stories and pain and fear and heartache. So much so that Jesus would stand in the temple and say, I have come to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captives free and release from prison those held in darkness. And most of us in the room can go, please, I've got some places where I'm bound up. I've got some places where I live in darkness. I've got some places of deep fear. I don't know how to let go. I don't know how to find peace. I don't know how to let go. I don't know how to trust. I don't know how to have faith. I don't know what it all means. There are a few parables in the teachings of Jesus that become so specific to the setting in which they are told. But the parable of the mustard seed, it finds its significance in its setting. Listen to how it unfolds, Luke 13, verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. And then Jesus saw her. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and he said to her, Woman, and listen to the language, You are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, but not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered him, You hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people 
were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. And then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. And again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like a yeast. It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. In the Old Testament, it's so simple to see who the captives and the captors are. It's so straightforward. It's, it's, it's pretty easy to see why, how they were held and then how they were freed. But by the first century, the complexity of what was binding them was very different. In this multicultural context and in this crazy political climate in which they lived, it was very difficult to name exactly what was holding them hostage. If I were to ask you, what do you think was binding up the crowd to whom Jesus spoke on that morning? What would you guess was binding them? The domination of Rome, probably. The domination of a legalistic faith system that was owned by the aristocracy. Judaism, probably. Their own economic difficulties, probably. Their own fears, sure. The culture which had become inexplicable to them, yeah. Their own fear, sure. Their own lack of control and power over their own lives, of course. Of course. And so on this day, in the synagogue, Jesus is there and a woman comes in and she's bent over. She can't straighten up. And he takes one look at her, and, and he, he says to her, I want you to be free from this thing that binds you. And he touches her, and for the first time in 18 years, this woman had an issue, 18 years, she's been showing up to the synagogue, bent over, can't straighten up. Jesus lays his hands on her and, and says, be free, be free. And all that stuff that was twisted up inside of her, let's go. And for the first time in 18 years, she stands up straight. Can you imagine the gasp that would have gone through the crowd? Can you imagine the effect that this moment would have had? And we're told that when she straightens up, she starts to praise God. Of course she did. And what was the response of the Pharisees in the room, of the synagogue leader? He gives a little lecture. He's a little bit mad. Don't know all the nature of it. Maybe it's that he's been upstaged. Maybe his power has been usurped a little, you know. But whatever it is, he gives a little speech. There are six days on which to be healed. You can come anytime and be healed. Really? Can you? Can you come anytime and be healed? When's the last time somebody was healed here in this synagogue? This woman's been here 18 years. But that's beside the point. There are six days to come and be healed, but not on the Sabbath. And Jesus, and this is where we get that there must have been a group of them, right? It wasn't just the leader of the synagogue, because he looks at them and says, you hypocrites. 
don't you get up on the Sabbath and take your donkey or your ox and untie them and lead them out so that they can have a drink of water? And yet this daughter of Abraham has been bound by this spirit for 18 long years. And you would deny her the ability to be free, to be set free from her bondage. And it says his opponents were humiliated. Yeah. Because why? Because it demonstrated how far their hearts were from the reality of the kingdom. But the people were delighted with all the things he said and did. And then in this setting, he said, of what can we compare the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which a man took into his garden and planted, and it grew into a tree that became the home for the birds and for animals. It's like a little bit of yeast worked into 60 pounds of flour. I've always tried to figure out what recipe was this woman using. (laughs) Amen? I mean, if you're well-versed in recipes, two cups of flour. Maybe four. If you're making a lot of bread, five. Sixty pounds of flour. What is the kingdom of God like? It's like a little bit of yeast worked into all of that flour. And you look at it and you think it has no chance. But it rises. And it grows. And something happens. I think there are three things that Jesus wants us to understand from the setting and how this fits together. Number one, small things matter. Small things matter. I think he's standing in that room and he's saying, you may think that the healing of this woman in this synagogue is insignificant, but I am telling you, I am telling you that this woman healing is the nature of the kingdom of God. I, I know that you want to break out of this place and, 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 and host a revolution. I know you want to overthrow Rome. I, I know you want to chase these Pharisees and leaders of the church out. I, I know what you want. You want cataclysmic change. You want the culture to get fixed. You want the world to be fair. I know what you want. Do not despise the little thing. This moment for this woman is a deliverance from bondage. It is what the messianic kingdom is all about. It is an act of defiance in the face of the darkness. And you can act like it doesn't matter. And you can pretend it's insignificant. And you can ignore it as just a little anecdotal story. But the fact of the matter is this is the nature of the kingdom. And the small things matter. The blind receive sight. The lame walk The gospel is preached to the poor. This twisted up woman is all straightened out. It matters to her. And it should matter to every person who saw it happen. Because it's a living illustration of what the Messiah is about. Not just for her, but for you. To straighten out the stuff that's twisted up inside of us. To straighten out the stuff that's twisted up in our world and in our culture and in our politics. Because it probably isn't going to be like a big lightning strike over at the White House or over in Congress or over in the Senate or at any other of the places where politics are practiced. It's probably not going to be that. 
And it's easy to believe that the kingdom of God is stalled out somewhere. So Jesus wants him to know small things matter. The second thing I think he wants us to understand is that small things define the kingdom. In fact, not only do small things matter, but it is the nature of the kingdom to be a mustard seed. It is the nature of the kingdom to do small things with great love so that together we can do something wonderful. It is the nature of the kingdom to begin at the grassroots level and make a difference in individual stories and individual lives. And I would guess if we stopped right now and we just said, let's just take this. Let's just stop now and every person who has something going on in your story, in your life, in your journey, in your inner world that says, I need people to pray because I need a miracle, there'd be a whole lot of hands that would go up in this room. God sees you. He sees your circumstances. He sees what's going on in your story and in your life. In fact, it is the very nature of the kingdom of God. It's not a big corporate thing anymore. It's shifted in focus down into this moment where Jesus looks and says, I have come to set the captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, however you're twisted up inside right now, what you did, what somebody else did, circumstances, tragedy, difficulty, sickness, whatever it is, the nature of the kingdom of God is to snuggle into your story and to put a seed in your heart and mind and spirit and to begin to heal you, to heal your story, to heal your loved ones from the inside out. That's the nature of the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. You may think this woman is insignificant. But I'm telling you, this is the nature of the kingdom. It's about individuals on a Sabbath morning with everything against it. For the first time in 18 years, standing up straight. Can you imagine the changes this woman went through? She must have stood up and said, I'm going to need some new clothes. <laughs> Amen? I mean, how fundamental is it? You know what? These work at 90 degrees. They don't work when you stand up. I'm going to have to tell my husband, you're going to have to raise that mirror. That mirror's been coming down a little bit every year for 18 years. Today, you're going to have to put it back up here. The cataclysmic changes in the life of an individual don't necessarily show up. And I wonder sometimes, is the contrast in this story such that you go, look at this miracle. Did it change the structure? No. Did it change their minds? No. Were they still stuck in their old ways of thinking and seeing? Yep. But is it any less significant? Small things matter. It's an act of defiance against the darkness. And it is the very nature of the kingdom. It's the very nature of the kingdom. I don't know about you, but I would like to see something cataclysmic. The danger in that is we may miss the most important things that God is doing in our world and in our culture. And that brings us to number three. Small opportunities are everywhere. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, there'll come this moment 
when we'll all be standing before Jesus and he'll say, welcome these in. They saw me hungry and they fed me. They saw me thirsty and they gave me something to drink. They saw me naked and they clothed me. I was imprisoned and they visited me. And, and they will say, and the righteous will say, when? When did we see you? Naked and hungry and thirsty and imprisoned. Just as you have done it unto the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done it unto me. He took a little child and he stood him in their midst. And he said, unless you change and become like this little child, you cannot participate in the kingdom of God. Unless you become childlike. Unless you remember what it means to be joyful. Unless you remember what it means to trust. You cannot participate in the kingdom of God. The nature of the kingdom of God is small things. And there are small things all around us. And I'm guessing... That for those people sitting in that synagogue on that morning, they had come to believe a lie. The thief comes only to kill and destroy and to steal. But I've come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. And it is so easy in the face of the things that are going on in our world to simply stop functioning. I'm guessing that those people in, those synagogue, in that synagogue had said, Well, whenever we get organized and do something big, then I'll show up. Jesus said, That's not the nature of the kingdom. Whenever we, we get this movement going, whenever we get revival working, whenever something sweeps the country, I think Jesus is saying, well, those things happen sometimes. <laughs> but that's not the nature of the kingdom. The nature of the kingdom is a mustard seed that a person takes and plants in their garden. And it grows into a thing of significance. Don't be frozen because you can't fix everything. Do the small thing in front of you to do. And small things are everywhere. They're everywhere. You're going to be confronted with small things a hundred times today. Okay, that's too much. Ten times today. An opportunity for you to push back the darkness. An opportunity for you to be defiant in the face of hate and divisiveness and meanness. An opportunity to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. To put your arms around somebody and pray for their journey. Pray for their life. Pray for their need. Intervene in a way that makes a difference. Because why? Because the kingdom is about releasing people from bondage. It's about binding up the brokenhearted. It's about untwisting the things that are twisted up inside of us. And we are... The salt of the earth and the light of the world, ambassadors of reconciliation as though God himself is making his appeal through us. We don't sit around in the church waiting for the Holy Spirit to break out in some powerful way so that we can get on the coattails and ride behind it. No. He told those people in that synagogue, do something. Get up. Stop sitting around waiting for something. You are the kingdom of God. It is built into the small things and the small things matter. Go tell John. I know he wants me to blow up the prison. I get it. But you go tell John the lame walk and the blind see and the poor receive the gospel and the lepers are healed. You go tell John that individual people are finding freedom and healing and wholeness and hope and abundant life. And that is the nature of the kingdom. Blessed are those who do not fall away on account of me. Blessed are those who take on the responsibility to be the kingdom of God alive on earth. Not waiting, not waiting, but practicing that moment. And you think, well, 
what could my little bit of yeast do in the face of this culture? What could my tiny bit of yeast do in the face of the politics and the divisiveness and the meanness that's going on among us folks? Well, it doesn't seem like it would have a chance. But the dough rises and the kingdom rises. And the nature of the kingdom is that when you put the mustard seed in the ground and you do 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 and you do, the kingdom rises. And when you don't, it doesn't. And we've started to believe until something cataclysmic happens, we're helpless. We can't really do anything. No, we can go in the back garden and we can put the mustard seed in the ground. We can get the yeast in the, in the 60 pounds of flour, no matter how foolish it seems. And it does seem foolish. Because that is the nature of the kingdom. No one, none of us, can do great things. But all of us can do small things with great love. And together we can do something wonderful. Here's what I'm asking of you. This is what I think Jesus was asking of that crowd. Will we open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the opportunities that God will bring into our journey and into our lives today? And when those opportunities present themselves, will we be sensitive enough and willing enough to stop and put the seed in the ground? Will we have that conversation with a stranger? Will we see the expression on someone's face and ask if they're okay and offer to pray with them? Will we slow down? Will we intervene in the lives of people in need? What will we do today with the opportunities God brings into our life? There is no more contextual parable than this one. You may think this untwisting of this woman is a small thing. But it is the heart of the kingdom. God, would you search our hearts? Would you help us to open our eyes and minds and spirits? Whatever sort of climate we've created with our belief systems and with our own piety, we surrender it to you. We would hate to be blinded to opportunities in the nature of the kingdom and miss an opportunity to put our mustard seed into action. Forgive us for being frozen by the enormity of the task in front of us. Forgive us for talking in fearful ways and despairing ways. I pray that you would remind people in this room, online, folks that will watch in the upcoming days, would you remind them of this reality? You have come to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. I pray healing over bodies and minds and spirits that need healing today. I pray that you would remind folks that are going through trials and difficulty and fear that you see them you know their name you're climbing in with them they're not going to go alone 
in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to go into those places. I'll be in that hospital room. I'm going to be in that space where there's conflict and divisiveness and difficulty and fear. I pray your healing. I pray your untwisting of those circumstances. I pray it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, as you set those captives free, as you push back the darkness in those situations, as you bring hope and healing and life and joy instead of mourning, I pray that each one of us would remember that you are pushing back the darkness, one story at a time, one life at a time, and that each of us today would open our eyes and open our hearts, and as opportunities present themselves, we will do our best to do the small things with great love. Hear our response, we pray. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, will you stand as we respond? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.